You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I, I want to start tonight with a cheesy illustration, so I hope you don't mind. Those are really the best ones anyway, the cheesy ones. And uh, I got here, look at this beauty. Hey, I got a beautiful $20 bill, and I'm not going to do a magic trick. That would probably be better, but I'm going to do something with it. And let me ask you, who would like $20 right now? If I'm just giving it no strings attached. Yeah, if I'm just giving that, you'd want $20, right? Even if you're rich, if you flush with cash, you're wanting $20. Everyone's going to take $20. Now, here's the trick. It's not really a trick. I'm going to do this. Forgive me, Dustin. This is his $20. Who who wants the $20? You still want it? Yeah? You still want the $20? Does it make a difference that it's wrinkled and crumpled up, what it looks like? So yeah, it spends the same. It's all worth the same amount of money. And that's we get that about money. We get that money is the same no matter what happens to it, no matter what it looks like, because money has an inherent value just for what it is. Now let's come back to that in a second, but let me ask you another thing. And let's participate. We can put our hands up. It's okay. We can be honest. And we can encourage each other in this. So if you've ever felt worthless at a point in your life put those put a hand up if you've ever felt worthless hey i already got everyone except for dustin that that's all right he's working back there (laughs) sorry to call you out uh we already got everybody everyone has already has felt worthless at some point in in their lives now, if you happen to be listening on the radio to this, just know like a thousand hands shot up in this room right now. There's thousands of people. Because uh, I should say I'm, I'm, that's not truthful, but that, that ruins the point. But everyone's head goes up when I say, who has felt worthless? If I would go on, have you ever felt like no one values you? Would you raise your hand if you felt that at some point? Again, everybody... Now I'm just going to say everybody, even Dustin's not a hand-raising kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, second time, I, I should learn at some point. Uh, this time I won't say anything no matter what he does. Uh, <laughs> have you ever felt like someone who should value you does not? Raise your hand if you've ever felt that way. Someone who should value you hasn't. Again, everybody... Literally everyone, no one excluded. Have you ever felt like you don't feel loved really by anyone? If you felt that, put that hand up. Now that's, again, all those questions is everybody has felt that way at some point in their lives. And that's an encouraging thing in a sense. We've all felt that. But that means there's a problem. 
If we've all felt that way, we shouldn't. That's what I'm going to try to prove tonight. Now, the, the reason why I brought up the money thing, and that it, it cheesy kind of illustration, but like I said, it's the best way that I know to explain inherent value. We all get that about money. We all get a $20 bill is worth $20, whether or not it's beautiful and crisp, or it's wrinkled and, you know, marked on, uh, drug residue, anything that's on a $20 bill, it's all... <laughs> It's all worth the same amount because it has inherent value. Now, people, we don't get that as well. We don't get the idea both about ourselves and other people that we have an inherent value no matter what we look like or the damage done to us or the hurt that people have done to us. And we don't get that about ourselves. That's why we've all felt worthless at some point. And the problem is we don't feel that way about ourselves, that we have an inherent value. We're worth something just because of who we are. See, when you think about with money, the $20 didn't get to decide how much it was worth. It was the government that said this $20 is worth $20 because there's something backing that up. The $20 doesn't say, you know what, today I had kind of a crappy day, I only feel like I'm worth $10 today. It doesn't matter what the money feels, if it had feelings, it's worth the same amount. It doesn't matter if I look at the $20 and say, you know what, Andrew Jackson, I don't really like you, I'm going to downgrade you to $5 today. It doesn't work like that. Something that has inherent value has that value no matter what you think about it or what someone else thinks about it. And that's how people are. But again, we don't get that. That's what we're going to look at tonight in Job. This problem of feeling worthless, that no one values you, that there's no point to something. That's what Job is going through. We started the book last week, and I'll just have to recap. I'll probably need to do this every week in case someone hasn't heard it or read the book before. But in the first two chapters of Job, it sets up the story, the problem in the book of Job. And, and it goes like this to summarize. Job was a very blessed rich, fortunate guy. He had, it says he was the greatest of all the people in the East. He had possessions, material blessings, and he had a lot of kids. And then it shows us God's perspective, which Job doesn't get to see. And God is uh, bragging on Job. Satan comes up to God. God asks Satan, where have you been? Satan says, I've been going to and fro on the earth. God says to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? That he's upright and blameless and there's no one like him. And Satan accuses Job. He says, yeah, well, obviously he loves you, God. If you would take away his stuff, you wouldn't love you anymore. He loves you because everything is going his way. And God says, okay, Satan, take away his stuff. So he does. Job loses all of his possessions. All of his animals die. All of his servants die. Not only that, all of his kids die. The house collapses on them, and all seven of his children are dead. When that happens, Job says... Essentially, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all those things, Job never cursed God with wrongdoing. So then, Satan shows up again to God. And God again brings up Job to Satan. Have you seen Job? He passed the test. He didn't do the thing you said he would do. Satan, you said he would curse me to my face if I took his stuff away. He didn't do it. And Satan says, well, yeah. He still has his own health. If you took that away, Job will curse you to your face. God says, okay, Satan, take away his health. 
just spare his life. That's the only limitation. So Job loses his health. He is covered in boils, and he's disgusting to look at, and people run away from him. They're scared of him. And what Job says after that, well, and then his wife tells him, you know what, Job, just give up. Curse God and die. And Job says to her, can we only accept good from God? If we'll accept good from God, we have to accept bad. And that's, that's as far as we got. That's the setup for the story. But Job has lost everything, his possessions and his kids. And the rest of the book deals with how that plays out in his suffering. So what we'll see tonight is Job's first, he kind of had that initial reaction of, you know what, we can praise God anyway. But what we'll see tonight is after processing it, after processing a week of thinking about what's actually happened to him, he's not so optimistic anymore. And we start to see him go through the suffering. And he feels worthless. It feels like his life has no value, that there's no purpose in his life. What we'll see tonight as we study in Job, we'll start at the end of chapter 2 and then verse 3, is that because our value as people comes from God, we can always trust Him. We have inherent worth, which comes from God, not from anywhere else. And that means we can trust Him. So we'll be starting at verse 11 of chapter 2 of Job. After that setup, the, the last part we read was, Job's wife said, curse God and die. He says, we can't accept only good from God. We also have to accept adversity. And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So I'll pick it up at verse 11 of chapter 2 of Job. It says, now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So we have Job's friends showing up. Let's, we're first just going to kind of read the story and then dig into it. And this sets up all the rest of the book. Job's three friends show up. And let's commend them for that, first of all. His friends show up when Job is going through a hard time. That's good. They don't say anything at this point. They're waiting for Job to speak. For seven days, they just mourn with him, and they're there for him. And seven days later, Job finally decides to speak up. And I think we'll get into what his, Job's re- or his friends reply with next week, but I think they're kind of shocked by Job's reply. I think, I think they're kind of thinking Job's going to say something like, oh, I had a hard time, just pray for me and hope it all works out. But Job, we'll see what he says. And his friends don't help him at all. And God is very angry with Job's friends when he shows up at the end. But for right now, we, let's commend his friends for showing up. They're there for him, even for seven days. They're just letting him mourn. But then now let's go into chapter 3, where Job... The first thing he does is he curses the day of his conception. It says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. 
As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those who curse it, may those cursed who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none, and not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. So remember, chapter 2, Job is saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We can't just accept good things from God. Well, this is after a week of processing it. And this is what he says, cursed be the day I was conceived. That should have never happened. No one should rejoice about that. No one should be glad about me being born. And as we look at this, he's not suicidal necessarily. He's wishing he were dead, which is a little bit of a difference. Uh, not that that's a different topic. That's not, we shouldn't read that into here. There's other things God can do with that, but he's wishing he never even existed. And then he goes on, starting at verse 11, not just wishing he, or cursing the day he was conceived, but now he wishes he would have died as a baby. That would have been easier. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. So the way his life is going, it would have been better, yeah, if I was conceived, if I was born, it would have been better if I would have just died as a baby, if I would have been stillborn. And then to finish the chapter, he now wonders why he's still alive after all this being taken from him. He says, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. So when we read the Bible, we have this kind of tendency to sterilize it, to make everything nice and clean and and shinier than it really is, when really the Bible is a very real, dirty, grimy, realistic book. For example, it's not really related, but just what I'm talking about here. When Jesus was born... We kind of have this picture, you know, the nativity scene. It's, it's a nice little, you got little baby Jesus in the, in the crib with the hay all around him and you got little cute animals there and we kind of sterilize it when really this is a baby being born in a barn or a cave, whatever it was, there's different interpretations on the translation. Wherever he was born, it was a place where animals lived and fed. I mean, that's a dirty environment. He was not placed in a cute little trough with you know nice hay around it that's where animals were eating and i mean when i had 
two babies. They put him in like the weird Tupperware thing, uh, the clear. It, it looks like a, a Rubbermaid tote. I don't know why they put babies in there, but it's clean. Like I'm not worried about my babies getting infections from the clean, sterilized thing. And that Jesus, where an animal eats from, that's where he was put in. So we, we kind of sterilize it. It's really a real and gritty book. And we kind of do sometimes the same thing with this book, the book of Job, and sterilize it. And we kind of look at it like, this is, it's a nice story that can teach us a lesson. It can teach us how we should suffer and, and how we should just trust God and all of His plans, which is not necessarily wrong, but it's sterilized. It's not as real as when we really think about what Job is going through. Or we'll start to armchair quarterback Job and, and look at him and his friends and say, here's what they really should have said. Here's what they should have done. When we're not in this situation, we just kind of judge them and say they're saying the wrong things. But again, if we want to understand what he's feeling here, we have to not sterilize it and really get in to the feeling of it. I tried to put myself here. I have no understanding of what he's been through. Some of you may have been. I mean, the closest I, I understand to it is I've shared last summer we had a miscarriage. That's, and that, that's tough. But Job, I try to put myself here and I imagine myself, I would be in a homeless shelter because, well, his, his house has collapsed. He's lost everything he's worked for in his life. All of his livestock is gone. That's his livelihood. It's all killed. And he was great. He was the greatest of the people of the East. It's all gone. All his servants are dead. Everything he's been trying to accomplish with his life is taken away like that. And so I, I picture myself in that situation, my house being gone, everything I've been working for, my whole life being gone. But not only that, as I'm sitting there in my mind in, in a homeless shelter, it's also my health is gone. And not even just I have an inner sickness, but it's it's outward and repulsive to people. People would look at me and be afraid and, and not want to approach me. That's what happens with Job. That's what he talks about. And not only that, that would be bearable, except now his kids are also dead. He had seven kids and they all died at once. And if I put myself in issues as best as I can imagine, I, there's people out there who have been through this kind of stuff and I have not been. But when I think about that, the only comfort Job has is his wife is still there with him. But she's just telling him to give up. She says, curse God and die. And I think, what would I be feeling? What would I be saying? And when I think about myself in that situation, what Job is saying makes a lot of sense. If we don't sterilize and say, oh, Job shouldn't be saying this. Job should just have faith. He should just trust God. I understand as best as I can what, why Job is saying this. I would be wondering, what's the point? Why am I still alive? Why was I even here? If my entire life up to this point has been leading somewhere and it's all taken away instantly, my possessions and my own children and my health, I would feel worthless. I feel like my life had no purpose. And I, I wouldn't say anything, just like Job says here, he didn't say anything for a week. And this is what comes out of his mouth. And that's fine. I mean, I understand that as best as I can. See, and that's why Job is saying, curse the day that I was conceived. My life has had no point. Everything was taken away. It would have been better had I not even existed. That's why he's saying, I wish I died when I was born. 
If everything I've done just comes crashing down, what value has my life been? That's why Job is asking God, why don't you just kill me? I want to die. What am I still doing on this earth? What worth, value, and purpose could my life possibly have right now? So if we keep the whole book in perspective, which is very important with Job, we'll see his friends don't help him. And when God shows up at the end, God comes at the end and reminds Job of who he is. He both yells at Job and commends him. And what he doesn't yell at Job about is for saying stuff like this. That's not, all, he, all God does when he shows up is said, here's who I am. He shows us who he is. But now let, let's look at this. We'll dig in a little bit because as we, at the beginning, even though we have inherent worth, we all have felt worthless. The way Job was feeling, not to that extent, maybe, but that same basic feeling of, of feeling worthless. Because the reason that Job curses the day of his conception is because of how his life has turned out. I mean, he doesn't just wish he were dead. He wishes he never even existed. See, that, that's a little bit different. And that's really a good question. I mean, for anyone to ask at any point, but especially when everything is taken from us. Why do we exist? Why are we even here? Why do we go through what we go through? We've all felt worthless. What's the point if it can all disappear? Well, as I was trying to show with the money idea, every person has inherent worth. That doesn't change depending on circumstances. That's just what your value is. And I want to prove that from the Bible because it doesn't matter what I say or what people say about you. That's the point. What matters is what God says about us. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And when we talk about sterilizing the Bible, those verses are very popular, but kind of a lot of times misguided. Now those verses are in a sense about us, because, yeah, it's... That's how much God cares about us. But, but the point is not to look at us and say, wow, we're great. It's to look at the Creator and say, look at the care He made me with. He formed me in my mother's womb. He covered me. Even before I was born, He knew every day that I would live. We, we shouldn't, and that just shows our self-centeredness. This is not us we're looking at, it's God. I mean, imagine if these verses were about anything else. If it was about like a car and the car's Creator. We wouldn't say, oh, wow, what a great car. We'd say, wow, the person who made that, that's special. I mean, if it says something like, if it's from the car's point of view, for you formed my engine, you covered me in the factory. I will be driven by you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, you know, accepting for the fact that, you know, it'd be amazing if the car was talking and writing a psalm, I mean, just ignore that part. We wouldn't look at that and say, wow, what a great car. We would say, Whoever made that car put a lot of 
value and work and effort into making that car into what it is. And that's why we look at those verses, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. It's not about us, it's about Him and the value that He gives us. Now see, here's where I'm going with this. Well, bring Joe back into it. There's two components of worth. It works the same with money or possessions and even with us. The first one, we'll get to the second one in a minute, but the first component of worth is the value the Creator gives to the thing that's being created. So one of the things that gives worth or value is the value the Creator gives to the thing that's being created. If we go back to, to cars with that, I mean, what makes a fancy car like a Lamborghini or Ferrari more valuable than a Toyota Tercel? There's a lot of things that would make that more valuable, but just to simplify it, the materials, the care, the time, the quality that the Creator put into the creation. What those verses say in Psalm 139, that you form my inward parts. Before I was born, you knew all my days. What that says is God's care for each person. It shows the value He has for each person. The worth that He gives to each person. Because part of worth, again, is determined by the value its Creator puts on that thing. Does He say, in those verses, He made your parts. He created you in your mother's womb. He made you. He knew all your days before you even lived them. Remember the money. Why does damaged money have as much value as undamaged money? It's ideally, in simplifying, there's something that backs up the worth of the money. It, we're not going to get into economics, but ideally there's, there's a gold standard that backs up the worth of the money. The United States government has says this $20 bill is worth $20 because it backs it up. That's the value it's placed on it. That means you, if you were formed by God, by your Creator in your mother's womb, if He knew all the days before you lived any of them, that means you have inherent worth because God is the one who backs up that worth. He's the one who's put that value into you. And like I said, we tend to get a little self-centered about those verses and make it about us. Those verses are about God. And they're about everybody else. Everybody in the world has inherent worth and value. The elderly, the unborn, atheists, Muslims, homosexuals, handicapped people, people we think are annoying. Everybody has an inherent value because the Creator has made them that way. Even if they don't acknowledge Him as Creator, they have a value because He's the one who said it, not you, not me. That value is not determined by us. And see, this should change how we deal with people. Yeah. But it should also change how we deal with ourselves. Because we've all felt worthless. And as Job here cursed the day of his conception, we can do that, but we don't need to. We have inherent value that's backed up by our Creator. So the next thing as we dig deeper into this and find the value here in Job's life, even when everything's taken away, is the next thing after Job says, I wish I would never even existed, is he wishes he were dead, that he either would have died as a baby being stillborn, or that he would just die right now. 
And when Job is cursing the day of his birth, what's important to note is God did not curse that day. God rejoiced in that day because he gave the value to Job as a person made in his image and likeness. That being said, though, we got to deal with the second part here. In a sense, God did curse that day, but not in the way that Job thinks. So let's kind of move on to that. That was the value that God has placed on us. Now, there's another part of value, and that's really what someone is willing to pay for you, what you're worth. See, Job wishes for a different reality, the reality where he never even existed, and then he also, after that, wishes for death. Now, God didn't curse Job on the day of his death, but again, like I said, the fact we need to deal with here, if we're going to have a realistic, non-sterilized, biblical view of God, is that there was a curse on Job the day he was born. That goes back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, see, God, because... He created us with infinite value because He's infinitely loving and He made us in His image and likeness. He put humanity in a perfect environment where everything was provided for and they had direct fellowship with God on the earth. But the people He put there, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against Him. They chose to sin. They chose to do the one thing that God told them not to do. And that's where sin has entered the world and sin has infected and affected every part of this world. And as a result of that, the world is cursed. And it's in that sense, yeah, there there was a curse the day of Job's birth, even the day of our birth. Not that God has cursed us, but here's what it says in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And in Romans 8 it expands on that. It says, The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So what happened in the Garden of Eden is Adam and Eve brought sin into the world through their rebellion against God. Yeah, the the earth is now cursed. We're living in a fallen, cursed world where people die, where kids die, where we sometimes wish we were dead, where we feel worthless. And the curse says people are going to die. That's part of it. Because sin, the wages of sin is death. Part of the curse says life is going to be tough. You're going to have to toil from the earth to get anything out of it because sin corrupts. That's what it does. And Job wants to die because he lives in a cursed world, in a fallen world as we do. And the sin is deeper than than just us. Now that sin lives inside of us. We inherit that. That's why we just know what to do is wrong because that lives inside of us. But it's more than that. It says the world itself is cursed. Organizational systems governments, businesses, the whole, it's infected and affected everything. It's like a sickness. And Adam is patient zero, and it's kind of spread everywhere and infected everything. It's because of this curse, sin, we need to acknowledge that, is the reason why there's a death that Job longs for. And he thinks here that death will be a comfort. 
that it will be a great leveler. He says, uh, kings, princes, the wicked, prisoners, small and great, all die. He thinks that would be great. If I would be dead, I would be resting just like them, and we're all equal then. But in a cursed world, death isn't always a comfort. See, the other part of this, the other part of sin is hell. And hell is something as Christians that we believe in because Jesus did. He talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And hell was made not for us, but for Satan, where the temptation, he tempted Adam and Eve, and that was made for him and demons. But if we choose to disregard God's free offer of salvation and reject that, he's freely offering you the chance to avoid that, and we'd rather go in that direction. He'll let us go. And that's what, that's what hell is. It's a natural consequence of sin. Hell is... All grace has been removed. Every one of us now, whether we believe in God or not, are subject to common grace. He gives the rain to the righteous and the wicked. And all common grace is removed in hell. And that's really like best case scenario. It could be far worse. We don't know. That's a natural consequence of a fallen world. And like I've been saying, it's into this world that we're born. And if we're here which we are, in fact. We've survived our birth like Job. Even if it's against our wishes, even if we wish we would have been dead at some point. And even knowing sin and the depths of sin and the curse, we willingly sell ourselves over to sin. I mean, we all know, I know, I know how much it hurts to be judged. Yet, I judge I know how much it hurts to be gossiped about, but I gossip. We know how destructive alcohol is, yet we drink. We know how corrupting pornography is, yet we consume it. See, we know all these things and we willingly sell ourselves out to them. That's why we are slaves to sin. But see, now here's where the value part comes in. We had to establish that groundwork to really get this value here. The Bible says... God redeems us. That's a beautiful word and a beautiful picture. What redemption means, it's the price that someone would pay to buy a slave's freedom. And it's that word that's used to describe how God purchases us from our slavery to sin. Now one component of value is, or worth is the value that the Creator puts on the created thing. The other part of worth is, how much someone is willing to pay for it. And that also determines something's worth. Uh, like one, Just an example that came to mind on this is the Honus Wagner baseball card. It was a little card that was made in like the 1910s, probably not even a penny to make in those days. It is sold for over a million dollars. So sometimes value is from the, the value the creator puts in the thing. Sometimes it's just what someone's willing to pay for it. There was an inherent value in that baseball card. It's someone was willing to pay over a million dollars for it. Now, when the Bible says God redeems us, it means He purchases us from slavery to sin. He purchases us from this fallen, cursed world. And how much does He pay to purchase? That's what tells us our value. How much someone is willing to pay for you. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what God has said you are worth. 
not to purchase from sin with gold or silver, something that will decay, but with His own blood shed for you to purchase you from slavery to sin. That's how much people are worth. Now, if I tried selling you this iPad for $20 and you didn't trust me, you thought I was just trying to uh, like pull one over on you, you'd probably assume there's something wrong with it. If I'm trying to sell an iPad for $20, maybe there's something wrong with me and I'm so desperate for the money. If I, The other hand, if I tried to sell you this iPad for $1,000, you'd say it's not worth it. I can get a new one for like 500 bucks. So what does it mean if God has said what you are worth is His own blood? It means He doesn't look at you and say, there must be something wrong with this person. They're only worth $20. It also means He doesn't look at you and say, they're not worth the price. Every single person, no matter how crumpled we are, no matter how wrinkled we are, no matter how worthless we feel, He said, you are worth the price of my own blood. See, and that shows us our worth and our value. And he, he doesn't look at you and say you're not worth it. He looks at you and sees you enslaved to your sin, helpless in a cursed world. So what he did about that is he was conceived, as Job talked about, in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit of God. And rather than dying at birth, he was born into this world. God entered his own creation and he lived perfectly until the day that he died. And the day of his death on the cross, he took your sin, paid the price for it, gave you his righteousness to buy you from this curse. So you might not know why you're still alive like Job is. But the fact is, you are. Again, that's a fact. In the two parts of value, God has put His own care and value in you at your creation, and He paid the ultimate price to purchase you. That's where our worth comes in. Now, let's, let's wrap this up here. And Here's the last thing I kind of want you to think after tonight, is, I'm so great. You know, I have all this worth. I'm so valuable. That's a good thing, but that's not the ultimate thing that we should think. See, what we should be thinking is how awesome, amazing, and loving, and perfect Jesus is that He loves us this much to bestow this value on it on us and to back it up. He paid the price to prove how valuable you are. See, what I want you to leave here with tonight is the thought that because of how much worth you are to God, regardless of what you feel or others tell you, is that you can trust Him when things aren't how you would like them to be. There's kind of two ways to apply this. We'll end with this. One way to apply this this fact is that we'll tend to judge God by our situations. We look at the situations we're facing, the bad stuff, the things being taken away from us, and judge God based on that. God must not be happy with me. God must be angry with me. God is not a loving God. And we look at God through our situations and then judge Him. But when we know how much value He gives us, and that He demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we are still sinners, He died for us, then we can start to not judge God by our situations, but judge our situations by our God. 
And rather than looking through what we're facing and seeing God on the other side and saying, God must not really love me, we can look to God first knowing He's backed up your value with His own death and say, well, now let's look at the stuff facing me. Look at your situations through God, not the other way around. Because what this book will show us is that God has ordained, allowed, or caused everything that's happening to us. If He shows us this love and tells us how much we're worth to Him, we can trust Him. Because it's not up to you to decide your worth. It's not up to other people to assign that to you. That's up to God. He's the Creator. And this is what He says about you. Now the other way to apply this is going back to we've all felt worthless at some point in our lives. And the reason why is all of us have tried to get worth from someone or something. We try to get our value from ourselves and having a good image of of ourselves and feeling good about the things we've done. We try to get our worth from the things we do. You know, I do good things, nice things, I help people. Or we try to get our worth from other people. Other people tell me how awesome I am and I try to please them. And I need their respect and their adoration, which ultimately ends up crushing them. But we're looking to the wrong place for our worth. And I have proof of that. You all raised your hands. I raised my hand. Everyone I talk to will raise their hand. Have you felt worthless? Yes, I have. That tells us we cannot get our worth from ourselves, from the things we do, or from the way other people see us. That's, what, again, what the money We don't decide the worth of the money based on how we feel. The money doesn't decide its own value. That's bestowed on it from the Creator. No one will love you like they should. You will not feel good enough about yourself to be satisfied in your own value from just looking inside yourself. The only one who values us in the way that we need is the same one whom we've hurt the most. If Job is like me, if I'm like him at all, even not in the same situation, he wishes that he didn't exist, cursing the day he was born and wanting to die, because everything he gained his worth from was taken away. All he'd been working for in his whole life, all his possessions, all of his animals and servants, his house, taken away. His health, taken away. His kids, taken away. And that's where I get my worth a lot of times. The things I've been able to accumulate, oh, I'm a pretty successful guy. My kids like me, oh, I'm a great dad. My wife likes me, oh, I'm a good husband. People tell me like, hey, you're a great guy. Oh, I'm awesome. If those things are taken away, where do I get my worth from? That's why I'm going to feel worthless unless it's from my Creator. The one who gave me that worth through His creation and then who backed it up by purchasing me with His own blood. If you're not a Christian, you have inherent worth. Even the God that you don't believe in or the God you might have misconceptions about, the God you might think is somewhere out there but doesn't really care for you, your worth is not determined from yourself, it's from your Creator. He already loves you. He created you. He already died for you. He's already backed up that worth He said you have. The only thing is that you have to accept it. When a gift is offered, you have to take it for it to be of any value. So if you're not a Christian, that's where you 
Submit to God. Worship Him. Say, you are my creator, and the only way I'm righteous is through Jesus' blood. For those of us who are Christians, if we've all felt worthless, don't look outside or even inside for your worth, but look upward to God. Judge your situations by God and His love for you, the value He's placed on you. Walk by faith, not by sight. That's what that means. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you because I know I felt worthless and everyone has felt worthless. But that's not from you, God. It's amazing that you, the person who I've sinned against more than anyone, all sins are against you, you are still the one who values me more than anyone else. You're still the one who paid more for me than anyone ever would or possibly could. And it's because you've forgiven us. You call us your children that we worship you. God, help us to see our value not in the way we see ourselves or others see us, but in the way that you see us. Help us to trust that no matter what people say about us or what we say about ourselves, that our value comes from you, not from them. Help us, God, then to to trust you when things are taken away, when things aren't going how we would like them. And Father, if there's anyone listening who's not a Christian, help them to see how much you love them because that while they're sinners, you died for them to make them your own. We pray for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.